0: All right. Welcome back everybody to the 1% in health. We have Jeff Beck on. Hey, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me. And we have Clarissa Nash is missing tonight. Uh, Before we jump into the podcast, just again, trigger warnings with our discussions. Also seek professional help uh, concerning conditions and and, uh, in our conversations about diagnosis and health conditions. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you for coming in. It's it's getting late tonight and uh, you're taking time from your family and your busy schedule. So thank you so much. Happy to do it. Awesome. So Jeff, we discussed this a little bit uh, before the podcast. I did not want to mess up all the beautiful things you do in life, and uh, and uh, I'll ask you to introduce yourself and kind of all the things you have your hands into. <laughs> Honestly, th- th- this kind of
1: conversation gives me anxiety because whenever someone asks me what I do in life, it's it's uh, it's a hard thing for me to define <laughs> because I, yeah. I do I do a lot of different things and I've done. A lot of different things. Um, and uh, so to, to keep it short, um, the things that I that I am doing right now is I, I primarily I'm a, a board game designer, a photographer, a marketing consultant, a podcast host, a videographer, a drone pilot, a stand-up comedian, and a motivational speaker. Are, Are you missing I'm anything? <laughs> the ones I think I'm currently working on. I also have been a radiology technologist. I've been a advertising executive, uh, the brand manager, entrepreneur. I was briefly a chauffeur. That was that was great. Awesome. Uh, yes. Awesome. Carpet installer. So I, 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 can, wow. We could talk for an hour about all the things that yeah. I, that I've that I, I've done. To be and I and I once I once sold a video of my one of my cats to a TV show in Japan for thousand dollars. Wow. No. And, it, and if yeah, anybody I'm, I'm can also guess one of the one of the top 1500 redditors in the world so oh, that's, wow. that's another random fact so and that's today's where episode this <laughs>
0: episode is on adhd and it's beautiful i'm excited uh, I mean, for this one
1: woo-hoo. do one of you guys have adhd i don't know anything about adhd no
0: so i'm excited <laughs> to dive into a few of these things you do you know what you've done for the community i get in get into some of the the uh your upbringing and um, talking about ADHD and your upbringing we talked a little bit about it before the show but um, before we get into all that thank you for your introduction I get anxiety too when people ask me what I do and people leave more confused when they uh, get out of the get out of the conversation and you worried, you worry that you said too much and you worried that you gave them anxiety or something by going through it all are these all common feelings Yes,
1: yes, yes. They are. I, I am really great at analyzing things that I've said, and and then feeling silly about what came out of my <laughs> mouth later. So, which is why I never listen to episodes of my own podcast. Oh, I'm also a podcast host. Oh, oh host. you don't podcast oh, host? You, no, I don't. But you don't listen? Me, I can't listen to myself. No, I'm, I'll listen probably to this episode because it's not my podcast. Um, yeah, but it's weird to listen to my my own episodes. So I, I well, listen. It is. I go, Man, there was a really good joke opportunity. I totally missed there, and I just I feel <laughs> guilt. It's great. I was
0: gonna say that I'm I'm intimidated by comedians because your wit and your sense of humor like it's it's quick and my brain i'm medicated bipolar and I'm, I'm a little slow these days so i'm, I'm a little of, bit of, comedian. of, of comedians because we
1: all have anxiety and <laughs> depression and and are way harsher critics of ourselves than anyone else so you're, you're
0: you're in good company don't you worry awesome awesome all right let's let's dive in we we started before the show we talked a little bit about uh growing up um did you grow up in utah tell us a little bit about your upbringing
1: I grew up in in South Seattle. My my dad is an airline pilot or was an airline pilot until he retired a couple of years ago. And uh, we grew up about 10 minutes away from SeaTac Airport um, and, and kind of the poorer part of of unincorporated King County in, in Seattle. Went to public grade schools in the part of the city that had most of the government projects. So it was an incredibly diverse community, a lot of really humble households in that area. And um, there were some disadvantages of of those conditions to go to school but there are also some really great things and i was exposed to just so many different people of different cultures and religions and backgrounds and i think Love in my that. high school there were something like 65 languages spoken by by students that attended wow. and uh, we also had i think the highest dropout rate in the state so yeah. there were there were some real challenges with that, mm-hmm. but also some really amazing opportunities uh, to grow up in an area that truly was a, a, a melting pot of cultures awesome. and ideas.
0: Awesome. And we talked a little bit about uh, how you excelled in uh, grade school. Let's talk. Let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I,
1: I, was, I was smart as a kid. I don't know what happened as I got older. But uh, <laughs> when I, when I was a little kid, my, my parents actually moved me and my older siblings from the school that we were at to a different one because they. I had tested really high and mm-hmm. so different proficiency tests. And so I, I was moved in, in to a new school and in second grade I was attending fifth grade classes and wow. They had me in I, I was a little tiny kid with a bunch yeah. of older kids. I it's actually a, a fun memory that I just had of a, a fifth grader um, who was in that class with me and he was about twice my size and Bigger than everyone else in the class, and he kind of took me under his wing, and I helped him with his homework, and he made sure I didn't get made fun of as a little kid. Wow, in class, so. love that. that, Kenny, Kenny Baker. I haven't thought about him for a long
0: time. I hope he's doing well. So you were in second grade in in, in fifth in basically. fifth, you were yes, fifth I so. um, Wow, yeah, that's yeah, a- I, was a you know,
1: I was so tall that when I was in that when I was in kindergarten, the principal took me to the fifth grade classes and asked if I was their student. People thought I was in the wrong hall. Oh, but that was I never a problem like, I had ever. So, <laughs> a sort of issue. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. I was, I was and, short even for a second later. Um, I apologize for Clarissa. She always gets to shorten the stick if we have technical difficulties and she's uh, on our phone with a little bit of uh, <laughs> echo while we're on, we're spoiled with headphones and mics, but she's always a trooper and makes things happen quickly. So, Thanks, Corisa. Yeah, so that the, right, the Jeff, program go, go ahead. W- that I was in, it, they 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 placed you based
1: on where you scored not based on what your grade level was. It was and mm. I can't remember what the name of the program was, but so I was I was one of I think I was the only one in the second grade, but the class was second graders, third graders, fourth graders up to the fifth grade. So not all of them were fifth grade, so mm-hmm. it was a mixture of ages and you were you're uh-huh. placed based on kind of your capabilities and where you're at within your yeah.
0: Your learning curve. So, did you know? Did you know at the time you had something special going on in your brain? That no, you were sport, or not. That you were smart. Not,
1: not really, because it's it's hard to look at yourself from outside of the box. I, I there are little age. there are little moments that that my parents would say things, and I I glue into the fact that that I'd done something that that they thought was was mm. different or or um. But I, I honestly, when when they'd say things like that, I would feel a lot of fear. Probably mm. the the scariest word. In my childhood and even in my young adult years is the word potential. Because you get that talk of like, hey Jeff, you're not living up to your potential. You're you're smarter than this. You could be doing better. You could you could be more successful than you are in this class, or or if you just would work harder, if you could just, you know, focus on and, and do uh-huh. things, you have the potential to be doing so much more. And so I, I really grew to be scared of that word potential because it it meant that I wasn't succeeding and, and I felt like I never could succeed because I, I guess the thing I did notice is that it was a, h- a lot harder for me to focus and to pay attention unless it was something that I was really interested in. And then it was really hard to get me to not focus on it.
0: No one ever said anything about ADHD or anything though in your entire childhood or... You know, I,
1: I think I think parents almost purposely avoided seeking a diagnosis for me. I had a couple of cousins that had been diagnosed with other other disorders and had been heavily medicated. And I think that they were really worried about medicating me because it was still kind of in in the early years of, of figuring out how, how to help kids with ADHD. So I think that they, if they, I'm not sure if they, Purposely avoided the diagnosis, but they saw me doing well in school, and they figured if he's if he's above his grade level and he's scoring like the 99th percentile on every test that's yeah. throw in front of him, he's he must be just fine. We don't need to do anything because he's doing just fine, and I was through grade school and through middle school. I I was on math teams and and always did really well, and then I got into high school and and things things started to really change for me at that point in time
0: were there priorities that changed what changed it was it you were interested um, in other things or what well I'd, I'd i'd been brought into the program
1: at southern heights which is the grade school i was at and i think that the teachers knew that i i was one of the kids that was pretty bright and at the school there um and and so i think that they kind of accepted the fact that i was talkative and busy knowing that I was going to be just fine in the yeah. class and that I was a high performer. But when I got into high school, my first math teacher that I had there didn't know anything about me because why, why would they? I was just a student in their class yeah. that couldn't keep his mouth shut. And uh, she was later in her career and had uh, little patience left for the students and was a, teaching at a difficult high school with a lot of disruptions. And I ended up in the hallway for at least half of class, if not the whole class every single mm. day for my freshman year. For, of high ta- school for talking,
0: for talking, for, and for, for,
1: for, for, for talking and and for, for blurting out witty, stupid puns, things like that in class. Yeah. So I think I might've just disconnected my mic. Okay, oh, there we go. You guys hear me? Okay. Anyways, I went from loving math, like I'd, I'd voluntarily been on math teams and gone and done state competitions doing doing Amazing. math um, to being totally lost um, and behind my freshman year in high school. and And- went to, I started to hate it because I, I just felt like I couldn't understand anymore. And also I'd, I'd done everything in my head when I was in grade school, and middle school. And all of a sudden when I had to start showing my work, I realized that because I'd been figuring things out just on my own for so long, I'd missed some of the fundamental steps in actually knowing how to do the work and, and solve more complex problems. So yeah, did, that was, did,
0: did grades was suffer? Experience. Was it, was it a emotional Yeah, It thing? wasn't was like, it, it wasn't like suffering? I went from,
1: from, from, from an A student to a F F student, but I, I, I my grades started to go down. I started getting B minuses and, and, and A's instead of all A's like I had previously. And it actually led to a pretty big shift in my trajectory of schooling. I had a conversation one night with, with a cousin of mine, who's a really good friend of mine, um, who was a couple years ahead of me in school. And he was asking me how I was doing in school. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm getting like a 3.2 GPA. And he goes, that's, that's not good enough, Jeff. You're, you're too smart to be getting that. And if you don't, have like a 4.0 you're not going to have a choice of what school you go to and mm-hmm. and i was depressed about it because i was i was a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. and i'm like it's too late for me to fix that but after that conversation there was a conversation that i had with a counselor at school and they said there's a new program that we're, we're trialing here called running start and it allows students their junior and senior year instead of attending high school to go to community college and nice. and you can you can study at community college concurrently with one or two high school classes and you'll mm-hmm. graduate with an associate's degree in addition to your high school diploma and then you'll be a transfer student instead of a, mm-hmm. a incoming freshman at any university and i saw that as kind of like an opportunity to start over fresh mm-hmm. so i i went and participated in that program and ended up graduating with an associate's degree a couple of weeks before i graduated from high school which is kind of
0: beautiful <laughs> that's awesome yeah i've known i've known one other to do that and i love that they have that it's like it's it's uh and and being a transfer student helps you get into the college you kind of want to as well too right they, is, is that true or not sweet this is too good. yeah
1: so having an associate's degree um did make it easier for me to get into college but uh right out of high school i went and served an lds mission um in, awesome. in honduras so I, I put that on hold for a little bit um and then applied to go to byu when um awesome. when i returned from Honduras and uh, it was kind of a double edged sword it, it did make it easier for me to get in i didn't have to have even an sat i never took the sat because uh, what? It, it wasn't required oh, did, you take, as oh, transfer did you take data? the act though no I, I didn't take either one of those tests because i they, oh they weren't they weren't going to look at them as because i was you a junior. Transfer data, so <laughs> yeah, yeah so you know I, I might have taken the sat on second thought but i never submitted a score for it cuz i it wasn't wow. wasn't required however when well? i entered i can't really remember i think i i think i really killed it on the language portion and and struggled with a part of the math part like I, I got interesting to the point where basically I because the funny thing about doing running start is that I think they were still kind of figuring out the program so I ended up not taking I took one algebra class my first year as a junior, and I didn't take—I never took trig. I never took calculus. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just missed huge portions of my math education.
0: Wow! Because
1: yeah. they assumed that I'd taken them in high school or something like that, and wow. so it just—it just didn't happen. But I—I I did get to take an acting class. That was fun. So I'm sure awesome. that probably was was a good substitute for trigonometry. That's so awesome. yeah, I got into got into BYU, but immediately was a junior, and then on top of that, I—I I, they have a program there that if you speak a foreign language, you could take a test and then get a bunch of credits yes.
0: to, to say, basically, mm, I've, yeah. I've,
1: I've tested out of this many years of Spanish. So I, I think I got like 60 credits of college 60. Spanish in addition to had a two-year degree. So I was like a junior halfway through my junior wow. year when I stepped onto campus. And the the bad part about that is a lot of programs, you have to declare your major your sophomore year. Huh. And so I was ineligible. All, right off the bat for, for a bunch of mm. programs that I was interested in. But I didn't think that really mattered because my plan at the time was to become an airline pilot. And as mm. an airline pilot, you just need to have a 40 degree. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you finish college and then you go to your flight training. And and my dad has a degree in psychology, which he'd never used because it was the, the degree that he had the fewest amount of credits left to finish when he was mm. at UW. <laughs> so that was my plan. But my, my older brother had graduated a couple of years prior to me. He'd gone into flight school, and this was back during... The financial crisis, and he got furloughed from his his first couple of flight jobs, and it it scared me out of the industry because he was really yeah. struggling. He was working as a ramp agent, actually, like loading luggage, wow. um, just trying to stay kind of uh, current with his, yeah. staying yeah. close to the airport and and looking for opportunities. Yeah. And it took him it took him a long time to to finally get into the airline industry. It was just a few years ago that he finally got to to wow. the status of commercial pilot. So. Well, Anyways, I decided after looking at that, the flight career, that business would be a good field for me to, to go into. Um, so I, I took on in one semester, a whole bunch of, of courses that I'd need to get into the business program, like accounting mm. and statistics and a finance class and a math class. And they all were math heavy. And I hadn't taken a math class for mm. f- four years. Wow. <laughs> I didn't take any, any sort of primer. And that same semester I met my wife um, when we started dating and I it was my first uh, I think my first semester back from from my mission as well that I stacked all these classes up and I got C's in like three of them (laughs) I think the only C's I ever Mm -hmm. got in my entire time in school were all that semester and they're all the ones I needed to get into the business program so I was like well I guess business
0: is is not for me (laughs) let's put a little context to this this is BYU this is not an easy college university that's
1: true yeah and and I was I was not ready to to I should have taken a couple of primer courses and kind of warmed up to it, but I, I was like, "I'll be fine. I'll be. I'll, I'll, I'll do." I, I was not fine. Call all those prereqs when you take them all the same semester. Business school suicide. I did the same. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was brutal. Um, and and you know, older, more experienced me, I would have probably said, "You know what? You're already two years ahead. Take them all over again. Just do it again the next semester, and 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 you'll be fine." But I, I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm a failure. I'm not meant for this. This is this is definitely an indication that I'm not good enough." And, and so I started looking for other options and, and I thought, you know what I should do, I should do advertising. People have been telling me my whole life that I'm good at selling things. Advertising is just creating things that sure. sell other products. Um, and yeah. so I, I applied to the advertising program with the intention of writing and creating and directing advertisements. However, I found out after applying that I had too many credits to get into the creative track at oh. the advertising program. Um, so I, I had to go into the management track, which was more focused on the business mm. business aspect of advertising, which I wasn't as passionate about. And so I, by the time I graduated from school, I felt like I had kind of this nebulous degree. And I remember going home and visiting my parents with with my wife and sitting in the kitchen and there, the news was on as we were getting ready for breakfast. And there was a little program. It was like the five best and worst programs you could be in right now in the middle of the financial crisis. And, uh, and they're counting up the list of of the worst ones you could do. They're like, you know, pottery glazing is number five on our list. And uh moving up to number four is Russian agriculture. And, 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 you know, they're, they're climbing up and I'm like, Oh man, Oh man, please, please. And like number one on our list of most useless degrees is communications and advertising. It's like, Oh, that's my degree. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Just graduated college. I've got a baby and a wife. And what did I do? What on earth yeah. did I do? And uh, yeah, so I, I, fortunately had gotten an internship out of out of school to go be a, an assistant um, advertising salesperson uh, at Como and uh, Star and KVI in Seattle Fisher Communications was awesome. um, was the company and the the manager there Bryce Filippi actually was another BYU grad which is how I'd gotten the connection to go and Mm-hmm. an intern there. And then they hired me as an advertising salesperson. Um, so I went and bought like five suits, including two brown ones, because I was really stupid that, that age in my life uh, and thought the brown ones looked. why would you buy a brown suit? Anyways, anyways, <laughs> I, I went and started working in advertising and, and there, there was this crop of young ad execs that were all a couple years older than me that were all doing well together. And they'd been given kind of the the best radio program to sell on, which is Como News Radio, because the the news station had a huge amount of listeners and um, really long listening sessions as well. And so the commercial breaks were really effective. Um, And they said, all right, Jeff, well, we're going to have you sell KVI, um, which had been a talk radio station and had great listenership. But they decided right after I got there that they wanted to try something new with it and turned it into an oldie station on AM radio. Oh wow! And as a result of that, they lost 95% of their listenership. (laughs) And I was also given the opportunity to sell the evening programming of the nationally syndicated talk shows for Star 101.5 station, which is kind of the the women 2554 station, um, which had great listeners, but no one wanted the evening programming because the Mm -hmm. listeners dropped off and they were sporadic. And I just, I didn't really know what I was doing there. The rest of the kids in that class of, well, I I say class, but that group above me, they'd had regular trainings and I was just kind of thrown in and said, just go out and talk to people and see if you can get them to buy radio advertising. I had, I had zero confidence in the product after the first couple of sales that I made and people saying, well, I I paid you a couple of grand and never got a phone call. And uh, so I started to feel guilty that I'd even be trying to sell this, this product that I didn't believe in. So at a year I I, um, had been on a kind of on a stipend, they were giving me a small salary in preparation for me eventually transferring over yeah. to commissions and I did not have many commissions <laughs> that yeah. at that year point um, and they offered to extend my kind of my grace period another six months I said no this is yeah. I just the writing's on the wall this is not
0: yeah not what this, I should be they, doing it sounds so like I, they set you up for failure
1: you know the funny thing is looking back I can see it that way at the time it didn't yeah. feel that way it just felt like yeah. I was failing and yeah. and I was very similar to when I did poorly in my classes I didn't look at that as, Hey, that was kind of a poor decision to take all those hard classes at the same time is that I just yeah. am not good enough. I'm just, I'm, I'm inept and, and I just don't know how to work hard enough. I don't know how to, how to do as well as other people. Um, and, and so I, I had a lot of, a lot of feelings of inadequacy that, which is
0: amazing around. because you're performing at a high level. You're getting good grades at a high end university doing amazing things. You're married young, you're accomplishing so much and you still feel this, this uh self-deprecating feeling that you're describing now which is it's yeah amazing. that was my and i
1: think my inner dialogue all the time and and i really lived with this sense of fear of i didn't want people to know who i really was like oh man they'll mm. they'll know they'll, they'll they're gonna figure out that i i really am just like super distracted and and that i'm lazy and i'm a procrastinator and that's that's how i viewed myself uh, and uh, and so if someone gave me criticism at work or if I wasn't performing well, You're I had no problem heart. just taking it to heart that it's my fault because yeah. I am, a, I'm a loser. I'm, I'm not any good at, it, yeah. at these things and I'm not normal. I'm not, I'm not ever going to be good. Like these other people are. Do you so think I left that job
0: drive you? Did they, did they drive you though that whole time to uh, to perform they, they, at
1: the high level? They, they did to an extent. They also, I think, kept me from from being able to fully succeed as well, because I wasn't embracing the parts of my personality Goodness, yeah. and my skills that were worthwhile. All I could see were shortcomings and weaknesses. And, and I was so worried about hiding those that I wasn't really leaning into my strengths at that stage of my career. Thanks for sharing that. So, Skipping ahead, I, I I worked then. I went and got a job kind of on the other side of the equation as an assistant media buyer I'm with a startup in Seattle. And I was there for, for six months. It's the worst job I've ever had in my life. I, my, my role there was to take PDFs of, of, of like purchase agreements that had been photocopied multiple times showing like what ads have been purchased and then transfer those into an Excel spreadsheet. So I was, oh, I was doing wow, manual data wow. entry with like fuzzy PDFs. And <laughs> I remember sitting at my computer and like, like within like 10 or 15 minutes of starting my hands would literally be shaking in my body. Like I just felt my skin crawling. Gosh. So like, I can't stand doing this. So I, I did what I, <laughs> what I, what I typically do in a job is I said, there's gotta be a Easier way to do this. And so yeah. I started cruising the internet looking for a program that could interpret the data on that spreadsheet, mm. grab it and spit it out so I didn't have to manually type it. And so I found a program that that was able to grab the data and then I perfected getting it to read OCR. the data correctly and put it into yeah. another into another spreadsheet. This is back in early early wow. like 2008, 2009. So there weren't many programs yeah. that did that at that period of time, but it had text recognition and then I could get it to enter in the spreadsheet. So it took it from like a 40 hour a week job to like a four hour a week job, which is great for me. Oh, you put yourself out um, of work. And then they
0: fired me. I was, I was waiting for the comedian to come out on that one. Yeah. I was, I was, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I can't just play
1: foosball all day long. I did my work. So that was, that was, that was one of the darkest days of my, hmm. of my young adult life. The day prior to that. Because you did that, a great thing. Oh, well, I'd done a great you thing. Like- yeah, but I but I, I didn't view it as a great thing at the time. I viewed yeah. it as, mm. oh, that's just me being lazy again. That's just look at that. Mm. I just found the shortcut. Yeah. I'm always just finding shortcuts, yeah. and um, I can't let them know that I did this thing and how I'm doing it, because then they're going to expect me to do something more, and I can't I can't have them expecting more of me. Because I'm not capable of doing more. Um, I'm I'm scared. I don't want them to know that I have potential to do something more than I'm doing right now. We put an offer in for our our first house Mm. the day prior to me going into the office and getting sat down by my boss and saying you you've been let go, Jeff. Um, You need to go pack your stuff. It's time for you to leave. And I remember walking out to the bus stop and on a cold trizzly Seattle Day, and sitting and waiting for that bus and just sitting there in tears, wondering how, how am I gonna go and tell my wife, who was so excited for our first home, yeah. that we had to cancel the offer and that we were we were not gonna be able to buy a house. Um, and that I, I was out of work and I had no prospects for another job. Um, I felt really fortunate to have this one. And uh, I found out later that day that the company had lost their largest client a couple of days prior, and this was a startup, mm. and that they let go of a third of the staff. And I was the first one. Okay. That they talked to. That helped a little bit. That, that it I wasn't the personal. It. But they weren't just firing yeah. me because they yeah. thought I was a lousy employee. And then they sold the company about six months after that. So I would have been out of a job at that point in time, mm-hmm. anyways. But this was still the peak of the of the financial crisis and mm-hmm. the recession. Felt like I'd failed twice. Um, and mm-hmm. and so my wife and I we went out to visit my grandparents um, for a couple of days. And and my parents volunteered to take care of our of our our oldest son, who was the only child we had at that time. And we went out and just did some, some soul searching, some praying and, and, and trying to figure out what, what I was going to do next, because we were, we were scared of, of what we were, what we were going to do. Um, And, uh, by the by the end of that weekend, I'd made a decision that I needed to go back to school again, and mm. and I to to skip forward kind of did a what I call a, a parachute career, like a, an emergency exit mm-hmm. <laughs> of mm-hmm. of advertising because I needed to I needed to find a job, to support my family, and I found out that I could do a two year program and become a radiology technologist and make sixty Love to it. seventy thousand dollars a year. Working yeah. in healthcare, um, my wife was a nurse, and she'd been the one who wow. really was making better money during the first couple of years of our marriage. And she'd worked during the last year that I was in school. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, I want that sort of stability in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back to school, got a degree, and then and then worked for the next three years as a, as a radiology technologist. Um, wow. However, during that time, I had to pay my way through school. A second time, I'm going to tell you guys a really random story
0: about another way that I that I earn money. That uh, is this is beautiful. Wild. <laughs> every every for, for people that have ADHD and the journey that you're taking us through emotionally and the steps having a kid, having a wife, buying a house. You're in your early 20s or mid 20s. This is it's 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 there's so many of us that can uh, relate with this. So thank you for sharing every step and and how you felt about every step. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I I had to go back. And work in order to pay my way through school. Um, and so I'd gotten a job working at T-Mobile because I'd done that when I went through BYU. I, I could go sell phones and make 30 mm-hmm. to $35 an hour, have a really flexible schedule because it was at mm-hmm. a kiosk at a mall that was open long hours. Wow. So I could go to school in the morning, go work in the evening and um, and make decent money and have, mm-hmm. I think I even had some healthcare benefits from awesome. on that job. So um, anyways, I was working and my strategy as a salesperson has always been to be really sociable and to know more than anyone else and to be able to answer any question that comes away because I, I, I know more about the products than, than other salespeople do and know about, more about the plans and, and what's offered by competitors. So I spent a lot of time when customers weren't in the store reading different tech news blogs that would Mm. have rumors and reviews of new devices and one of my favorites was that website called androidpolice.com and um, there was an article that was written on there that hardly got any traction about a really random thing and and as soon as i read it i saw opportunity and i go this this is something i'm gonna do here and what it was is there was a a contest that had been announced for a movie called turbo racing league it was a movie Mm. released by dreamworks i believe about snails that raced yep. each other, uh, racing snails. And in conjunction with the launch of the movie, there was a big campaign where they'd released a mobile game on on Android and on the iPhone. And every week, the top ten racers in the world were winning cash prizes. And and the first <laughs> week was only going to run from Thursday through Sunday, and then there was going to be another seven weeks after that that were a full week. And I go, this is a three-day weekend. No one's heard about this thing. I'm going to win this. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to win money. I'm I'm going to just play this and I'm going to win. And so I downloaded the app, um, started racing my snail around the course. And within a couple of hours, I was in the top 10 on the leaderboard. Um, so I went wow. home from school and, and and I played till like two in the morning. I had, I had two phones um, because I, I had one from work and my personal one. So I charged one of them. And this was back in the days where like three hours of screen time, like killed your battery. That was, yeah. that was all, all yeah. phone could take. So I'd be charging one and then playing the other. And I, I literally got blisters on both my thumbs
0: Oh my as gosh. I
1: was playing like through the whole weekend. And I, my wife's like, what are you, what are you doing? Playing a, a kid's game on your phone? go, no, 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 it's, it's okay. I'm going to pay for college with this. Like, Who did I marry? And I'm like, no, no, it's I'm, I'm in the top three right now. Right now. I'm, if I take third place, that's, that's $10,000. I just don't worry <laughs> about it. It's fine. And she's just like, so, but, I but man, I, I was, I was killing it. And then the, the, the last few hours before the end of, of the contest, I, I dropped down to like fifth, sixth place. And, and then I got a wow. score that got me back up to number three and wow. like in the last closing minutes. And then, and then it, it closed. I was in third place and the prizes were wow. $25,000 for first 15,000. For second and then 10000 dollars for third place. So wow! I won I'd won 10 grand. And I went over and showed my wife. I'm like, look, this third place. I just I just won ten thousand dollars. Jeff, that's that's not real. <laughs> no, but it is. I, I read about it on 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 the internet. You can believe things on the internet. So it took them like a week to reach out to me. And they finally contacted me and they said, Are you are you Jeff Beck? We need to verify some information from you. We need to get your date of birth and verify that you are a citizen of, of the United States. And they said, You actually did not come in third place it's like what are you kidding me and I go yes because the person who came in second actually was under the age of 18 and i guess made the mistake of telling them that nice. they were disqualified so i i became the de facto second place winner and i won wow. for racing Unbelievable. A snail, which wow. the, the amount for my tuition to go back to school happened to be just shy of fifteen thousand dollars so oh, i paid wow. my way through college
0: by racing a snail. on a video game so,
1: on a video game on my phone.
0: I love that story. I yeah. love that you found opportunity in something. It was like turning a rock and seeing a fleck of gold underneath of it. It's like, oh, it, it I love better. that you saw the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: that opportunity led to another opportunity because that, that website that I mentioned, androidpolice.com, after that, sometime after that, a few months later, when when I had to quit my job at T-Mobile because the second year of the program, I had to do clinicals three days a week and there wasn't time to work a job. I thought, you know, what could I be doing that that could help me make money um, that doesn't require me to go anywhere? I, I could write for that website. For Android, please. Mm. So I sent an email well, off to the to the boss, to Artem. And I said, Hey, I've always liked your website, and I sold phones for a while. And one time, like three years ago, I took a class in journalism. You should give me a job. Wow. And sent an email, and yeah. promptly forgot about it. And then, like a month later, he replies and goes, Hey, Jeff, thank you for your email. Uh, we're looking to hire some new journalists. Why don't you have an interview? Um, and uh, so I had I had zero experience doing that. I just had had said you should hire me. Definitely. They should let me do this. Um, And, and so I was terrified and long story short, they hired me and I I worked for them. And for the first few months, I thought every day I was going to get fired because I had so many grammatical mistakes and, and issues with, with Printing things or publishing things at the wrong times, or forgetting links—all the ADHD mistakes of hurrying. Yeah. And I had a, an editor who was just really stern with me. Yeah. And and it, that was a changing point in my life, though, uh, because after a while, I realized that that Rita, who was the name of the editor, um, she lived in she lives in Lebanon. I think she's actually in Canada now. But uh, uh-huh. she would would correct me. And at first, my my instinct was, "This is hurting me. You're doing this to hurt uh-huh. me, and that's why you're correcting me." And that's that's how I'd always viewed correction is that like, this is punitive. Mm -hmm. You're just, you wanted to hurt Mm -hmm. me. You're wanting to hurt my feelings by telling me that I'm doing this wrong. And I transitioned and into understanding you're doing this to help me. You're doing Mm -hmm. this because you care about me because you don't want me to be fired. You want me to fix these mistakes because you like me. And because you like the work that I do, you just want me to fix the mistakes that I'm making in the work. And that was, Love it that. sounds like a really basic thing to understand, but that was a—that was no, kind of a deep an, thing for awesome. me to understand as, as an adult. And it started to change yeah. the way that I looked at myself of, of not having to be scared of mistakes, but instead focusing on making improvements. And and that was a, a mindset shift for me. So
0: yeah, anyways,
1: I, awesome. I started writing for the website. I was making a, a couple grand a month, writing news articles and most of the stuff I was, I ended up writing were deal alerts, which are a short article of, Hey, this yeah. thing is on sale at this price through this vendor through this time period. And I liked mm-hmm. those because they're really straightforward and I could write them really fast. And I got paid the same amount for writing that as writing a news article. And of course, I was looking wow. for the shortcut. What's what's the quickest thing yeah. I could write to yeah. make the most amount of money in the short period of time that I have yeah. to work? So I, I continued doing that job um, as I worked my way through and, and worked that getting my way through the rad tech program, and then got a job as a radiology technologist in, in Kirkland, Washington. And uh, as I started working full time in the hospital, I started to write less and less for Android Police. And I was about to finish writing there and quit when um, I had a conversation with my boss one day um, about not being able to get advertisers for the podcast. And the podcast was one of the last few things that I was a part of. And I was like, I like doing the podcast. I don't want to cancel it. It's fun. It's a good outlet for me to be obnoxious. And I don't have many of those in my life right now. I said, well, what if... What if I were to sell advertising for you, Artem? He goes, you want to sell advertising for me? I go, well, I'll let you know. I I'm a pretty mediocre writer, but I'm really good at selling things. That's kind of what I do. I'm good at selling stuff. You should, you should maybe have me do that for you instead. And, uh, and he said, well, let's. Sure, I'll give, I'll give you a chance. Why don't you try to sell advertising? So, first decision I made in selling advertising after like two weeks was that I wasn't going to sell the podcast because we had way too few listeners and it was garbage. <laughs> and mm-hmm. no one wanted to buy that. However, I realized that the website was was seriously underutilized for direct adver- mm-hmm. advertising sales. All It was being monetized entirely from Google Ads, but no direct advertising. And Artem, as he started to channel all these emails he was getting, I realized there was a lot of demand for um, advertorial content on, on the website from a, a lot of big tech companies. So over the course of... Um, the next few months I, I started to ramp up the advertising program um at Android Police. And, and i loved it because i was given total autonomy there was zero expectation there That's was awesome. there was no yeah i had no issues with worrying about my potential because there was none there, there there's like mm. he, he'd been selling like $1000 in advertising a year yeah uh, on in direct ads and and or maybe actually it was like $10,000 and, and I did like $25,000 my first month. Um, wow. So he was super happy. And the only thing I was worried about is, well, could I keep doing this? Cause I don't want to be a disappointment yeah. because I did it once. I need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you, also, you by that point zero. time, yes. At that point in time, I started to understand mm. how my brain worked better and the motivations that I needed. So I had a really frank conversation mm. with them. I said, you know, I will sell a lot better if you give me incentives, if you, if you give me prizes or if you give mm-hmm. me bonuses that I can earn. Mm-hmm. and and so he said, okay, well, for the first month, we're going to we're gonna set your your goal of X amount, and I hit that, and the next month, he said, well, let's double it, and I hit that amount, and we doubled it wow. again, and I hit that a month, and after five or six months, he said, you know what, we're just going to do with the incentives of you getting a higher commission when you reach this higher amount, and I'm just going to pay that higher amount every single time, because you're... Good job. So I, in the course of, of the time that I was at Android Police, I grew their advertising by, I think, about 1,000%, um, wow. which had started pretty small, but um, we went from basically non existent to one of the largest players in direct ad sales um in
0: in the tech news
1: industry at that point in time.
0: And I was you doing that all in full time at the Do hospital. You, can I ask just one question here? Sure. Were you having to were you having to cold call so many cold calls? Did you know people? This is like how this was what, this, how, these were was almost this all it almost all warm
1: leads of companies that were emailing us saying, Hey, we want to advertise wow. on your website and then me figuring out um how to gain their trust and 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 what mm-hmm. to sell them because we really didn't we didn't really have a a standardized platform of these are the ads that are available. So I, I created a bunch of new ad units of sponsored posts and then inserting ads into, into our content that got a lot of views like our editorials and reviews of other devices. So I'd say, Hey, you're a case manufacturer. How about we put your ad inside of the article that we write about the phone that you're making cases for. So people see That's that amazing. content. That. Um, and then I, I also,
0: you are creating.
1: Yeah, and, and and I also looked at at, at like our content calendar. And said, hey, we have a huge amount of traffic over CES or Mo- Mobile World Congress. We've been charging the same amount for these ads this whole time. We need to be charging two or three times the rate during those time periods because we have more more viewers. And just and actually by increasing the amount that people paid for them, there was more demand for them because all of a sudden it became a more desirable ad unit. So I, I grew it from having clients that were spending. $1,500, $2,000 at a time to eventually having clients that were, were spending as much as $100,000 per year in, in advertising on, on the website. So as I'm working the hospital, about a year and a half in is when it, that really started taking off. Yeah. And within a few months, I was making more working 15 to 20 hours a week for Android wow. case than I was making the hospital. And because I was a rad tech, I had a lot of downtime because I, I went and worked once mm. again in, in the area where I saw the most Potential for growth, which was in the OR. So yeah. I, I quickly became the the lead OR tech, and I was I was leading a team of of um, surgical techs doing spine surgeries and hip replacements and vascular procedures. And I would have a lot of downtime, so I'd like just be sitting in a corner waiting for them to say X-ray and for me to go over and take a picture. So I I was literally doubling up. I was able to work on my phone in between having to take X-rays wow, and respond to emails. Hustling, and hustling. hustling. I was hustling. Yeah. At the same time as this happening, my parents' business that I'd been a part of this entire time, which I haven't talked about at all, was also growing. And my for those who are familiar with it, my, my dad is Grandpa Beck of Grandpa Beck's Games. So if you've ever played the game Cover Your Assets, Skull King, um, those are those are our best-selling titles. And during this time period while I was going through school, And starting as a rad tech and working for Android police, I also designed my first game for their company called the bears and the bees and created the mechanics and then helped to direct the artwork and launch it. And then I did another game with my first Kickstarter called cover your kingdom and uh, ran a Kickstarter campaign on my own and figured out how to make that work and and raised about $90,000 from, from that long story short, my parents realized that they needed more help. Their business was growing and and I saw that my time working in the hospital was really kind of leeching my life. I, I, I was mm-hmm. I was working 10-hour shifts. I was getting up at like 4.30 in the morning, and I wasn't taking care of my health, and I was just really tired all the time. Um, and so I realized that if I went and worked half time for my parents and half time for Android Police, I could actually make more money than I was making wow. working for the hospital and working for Android Police. So I, I left my my short career of three years as a radiology technologist to become an employee for my parents and continue working for Android police.
0: And you're, you're, you're underestimating your ability to take risk to like, it's amazing. Like most people terrifying are terrifying. Yeah. I mean, you were, t- you were a risk taker. You're an entrepreneur, you're right brain, left brain. You're, you're trying to provide for your family and do the stable thing, but you, you obviously thrive in chaos and, and for listeners being able to take risk, it scares a lot of people, right? And you were just jumping. jumping. It was, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, awesome. it was
1: definitely a leap of faith. And I, and there was the thought as well that I could go back to this if I needed to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't, I never will. Um, Like it's it, like, I, I, frankly, I'd gotten bored of it after three years of being a rad mm-hmm. tech. I felt like I'd learned it all and, and mm-hmm. it no longer was challenging. And, and I also realized that, that I'd taken that job because I'd, I had, shortchanged my potential and 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 taken stability over risk and reward. And I realized my success at Android Police really fueled my confidence that, hey, you can do something great. I really had my confidence shaken by those first couple of jobs that didn't go well out of college and running the advertising program at, at Android Police really helped to rebuild my confidence and also taught me some really important things along the way as well. The the point where things really became successful at Android Police is when I had a, a coworker named Zach who came on board, and Zach basically became my my other half of my brain. Um, he was the person who who took care of all of the organization, who who ran all of mm. the billing, who who kept track mm. of all of the accounting um, for the advertising program. Because I was running so many clients, by the time he got on, that I was just drowning in it, and I and I was mm. missing payments and and not following up with emails um so i started just i I talked to my boss once zach had helped me with a couple of things and said look he is worth paying more than anyone else in your staff because if zach is helping me i can sell twice as much so he became my kind of my my number two um there at the business and he had a very like almost the polar opposite of my brain where he's very security driven mm-hmm. and um, really organized but the selling aspect was terrifying to him and that was that was the fun part to me was the pitching and and the closing mm-hmm. so that taught me something really important that that I didn't need to be worried about my deficiencies because mm-hmm. my strengths were really valuable and that I could find mm-hmm. someone else to work with me on my deficiencies and the as long mindset. as I treated them yeah. well they we, we would make a really good team and that and that they wouldn't view that their role was lesser or undesirable because they were doing what they were happy to be doing well, I was left to do what I was good at and what I was happy to be doing. And, uh, and so there, there's always been a Zach for me in every job and organization that I've worked with since then. I, I, I'm i very honest when I talk with someone, if if they're considering hiring me or having me do a project with them, and I'll tell them about yeah. my shortcomings and my weaknesses and say, I need yeah. someone in this role or I won't be successful. But if mm-hmm. you have someone in that role, I can be really a really valuable member of your team. Um, so anyways, I, I started working with my parents. I helped them to rebrand their company brought in a graphic designer and we overhauled the entire product line in preparation wow. to take it into, into mass retail. And uh, that was a really big project. I could talk about that for another three or four hours. Um,
0: I just, I love that the right brain and left, you say other half of your brain, but I, I think you've got both sides functioning at a high level. So you might need uh, help. Because you're you're pushing the envelope, and these are good problems to have. But you're you, you can do math, you can do science. I
1: I I, I love doing math. I love doing yeah. problem solving. Yeah. I struggle with monotony. If it's something that I have to mm, do more than yes. once, I'm not going to like right. doing it. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> and, uh, you
0: shouldn't. Yeah. Let
1: which that, which let honestly, else do that. I still say that, like, it like If I feel weak saying that because it, like, my wife does all of her finances. I can't stand to pay the bills. Like I can't stand to do the things that. That require me to to be regular and and normal. Let's Um, let's jump
0: into that. Let's jump into that. So, talk about uh, when did you come to realization of this? Like it sounds like I love I love you. You got less self deprecating. You were finding your skills. You were finding people to help you with your skills. You were telling people what it was to that they had to have it in place to make you successful. When did you start figuring out some of the ADHD stuff?
1: It was it was right around this time um, after I left the hospital. And I think it was the successes that I'd had that allowed me to basically take these blinders that I'd unconsciously put around me of, I don't want to know what's wrong with me. I know there's something wrong with me, but I don't want to know what it is because I'm scared of it. And mm-hmm. suddenly I said, maybe, maybe there's something that's right with me. Maybe I should learn more about myself so I could understand what's good about me, instead of being so scared of what's wrong with me. And it how was at that point. You, in time, do you mind me asking? I was I was thirty three. This was four years okay, ago. Okay, sweet, sweet. And uh, my wife encouraged me to go in and talk to a, a doctor and to to seek a diagnosis for ADHD, um, which had been a joke for a long time. I was uh, you know I said, oh, it's just my ADHD brain, but I never really took it seriously. I never really thought
0: mm-hmm.
1: that it was ADHD because I, I never manifested the signs of. Mm-hmm. Outward ADHD as a kid. I wasn't. I wasn't fidgety. I wasn't running around the classroom. Mm. It was all internalized. My brain was just always in, always inattentive. spinning. Yeah. Very inattentive. Yeah, I could. I could. Yeah. I could sit through a lecture and realize I didn't catch a single word of it because I was <laughs> thinking about something else. Um, and and uh, I'm laughing because so, I. So I I went in, spoke with the doctor, took an evaluation. They said you're you're most definitely ADHD, and that was hard. Uh, it was, was honestly, that? it was really hard. Uh, I. Yeah. To confront it and to finally own it, and then it wasn't—it wasn't the diagnosis. It was all the reading and research I did around it mm. of what a lifestyle with ADHD is like, and what what a relationship with someone who has ADHD is like. Mm. And I just—I started taking medication as well, and that gave me—it's like for the first time in my life, my head kind of came up out of the mm. clouds of struggle and survival mode, and it gave me this new sense of clarity and self-awareness that I never had before. And honestly, interesting. The, the feeling that I felt was just shame. I felt so much shame because I looked back at my life and thought about all these friendships I'd had, and the times I'd talked over people, and the times that I'd failed in commitments that I'd made that I hadn't followed through on things I'd promised to do. I thought about the career choices that I'd made and and having struggled in college, and I just I wondered. Where could I be? What could I have done if I'd known? Mm. I, I went through a period of of mourning. Like I, I, I felt like I was mm. mourning the death of my of my early twenties. Um, like 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 mm. like like I felt like, like I'd wasted, um, my life. And, and then I started to to turn around and 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 I had this change of perspective of instead of focusing on what I could have been. In terms of like what I could have done better, I looked at things of but how much worse could things have been for me? And mm-hmm. somehow miraculously, they aren't. Divorce rates are way higher for people who are, are ADHD that mm-hmm. are untreated. Rates of accident are way higher. Rates of of addiction are way higher. And here I was mm-hmm. at 33 years old. I graduated. It. I had three degrees. I granted, two of them are associate degrees. Killing it, <laughs> it doing I, amazing. I, I, You're so hard on yourself. And and so hard. and I'm married. And my marriage—I mean, bless my beautiful, wonderful wife, Lorette, for yeah. sticking with me through all that time. Like, because man, I would have left me. <laughs> I was—I was her snail racing husband. But I had—it was—it was, it was honestly—it was—it was kind of a, a light switch went off. Of you know, all things considered, you're in a pretty great place. You, you own a home. You've graduated college. You, you're providing for your family. Yeah, it's not conventional, but you're not conventional, Jeff, and that's okay. Yeah. And and something that I really loved is that at, around the same time, it was just—it was a period of like self. Discovery and exploration. All of a sudden, the things that I hadn't wanted to do before, in in learning more about myself, I, I wanted to know who I was. I wanted to understand how my brain worked. I felt like I was given a manual for my mm. for my brain, and I understood finally like how to turn things on and turn them off. The, mm. the- that I I just never understood before. And and I started taking in a bunch of personality profiles. And I know that that, that can be considered kind of quasi-science in certain circles, like the Myers-Briggs evaluations. Yeah. However, I took a lot of it helped me a lot because I, I was able to identify in my personality profile some things that were really true about me and and understanding like what my drivers were and, mm-hmm. and triggers that I had and 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 things that uh, that I did. Really well, and things that I struggled at, and and being able to be honest with that, and honest with others about what was good and what was bad, became very therapeutic. It was it was, it was, it was like mm. I, I felt like I could be honest with myself. I didn't have to hide anymore. And mm. so I, I found out that I was a, an ENFP um, when I took this personality evaluation. And at the bottom of, of the evaluation, after reading all the things about it, I said these are some other people in history that are also ENFPs. Yeah. And the names on the list were like Walt Disney and. Rolled doll and Michael Scott from The Office and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Willy Wonka and uh, Dr. Seuss and and I realized looking wow. at it, I go these people all have something in common and it is who I am I- I'm realizing what I am right now I'm eccentric love that that is what I yeah. am I am I am eccentric <laughs> and that word yeah. has a negative connotation a lot of people but I just realized my life is meant to be big and bold and chaotic because that's who yeah. I am yep and and that I've been running good. from it. I've been trying to be the stable provider in the, in a career job that lasts my whole life. And honestly, the thought of doing one thing for my entire life was hell to me. Like it was Mm. terrifying to think about being chained to one thing and to to only have one thing that I could do. And like my dad had been an airline pilot. That was his career. And I thought I had to have a career like that. My, my cousins that were really good examples, they were dentists. Like I, I thought that my identity was tied to what I did and I hadn't done anything for long enough to feel like I had an identity. So I felt Mm. lost. And then I realized it's not about who or about what I do. It's about who I am. And that shifted my life is understanding that I'm not trying to grow up to be a profession. I'm trying to grow up to be a person. And and the person that I am is I am a creator. And I find joy in making things and in finding things and discovering things. Love that. Beautiful. And 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 finding and showing beauty to others that, that they might not have seen
0: without my help. Yeah. And that's a driving mission in my life since I wanted to ask, and I actually thought about this ten minutes ago. I wanted to ask you, what it do you find comfort in doing all things, or is there one thing that you want to do if you could do it? Maybe it's a super creative thing that's really hard to make money in, but if you could do that one thing, would you do that? Or are you okay doing the 10 things? I like love doing
1: all the things. It's it's okay. and 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 I can't do everything but i sure try and uh and and it's funny the the more that i do the more i realize that everything i do is connected um and and that they aren't varied interests or different things that but they are all interlaced with each other like uh, in doing board game design i learned all about product development and pricing strategies and and that information is directly relevant to what i want to do now in in writing and publishing children's books and i also am doing stand-up comedy starting this month and that is directly correlated because it allows me to establish a name for myself so i can promote the mm-hmm. products that i'm that i'm making and i also do Love photography on the side and that is yes, honestly the reason check i that do out. photography the reason i do photography um i'm terrible at selling photos people send me messages all the time to mm-hmm. buy it and i'm really bad at responding to it because i it's it's meditation for me that's why i go out and i take photos i do it for myself it. and then i share them and that's why which you got to go look up uh, Jeff. Yeah, so what, what's your handle? Jeff like Beck photos. photos, or you can look up just Jeff Beck photography on on Facebook. Amazing stuff. Please if check, you look up just Jeff out. Beck, you'll find a guitarist from the '80s, mm-hmm. who my parents accidentally mm-hmm. named <laughs> after so. I, Jeff. I did find that piece <laughs> today. I had to put in Utah after Jeff Beck. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I, I've never Googled myself. I have to. I, I I've yeah, just got used came up. Like you just see the <laughs> sleeveless guitarist there. That's been a fun conversation I've had about a thousand yeah. times. Like, oh, Jeff Beck. Yeah, yeah, this guy, right? <laughs> and they do the air guitar, and I go, yeah, yeah. That's that's not me. Huh? Exactly. So where were we at? I can't remember what we're talking about.
0: I want. I want. And sorry, I I always talk over people too, so I apologize. But I'm so interested in so many of these things, and I want to get some context around too. And I and I think pointing out. I mean, you're still young. You've, you've done so much. You've done some brilliant things. You, you thrive in chaos. You create, you're an inventor, you're a creator. So sorry for, you know, butting in at times, but I, I wanted to no, point some great. of the things out that, you, that you've done in such a short period of your time. I love the mindset, the realization, you're highly intellectual. You've got the energy. You're able to dive in with focus. When did you, when do you think it's a superpower now? When did you think it was a superpower? I still am not convinced that ADHD is a
1: superpower. Sometimes okay. I still wish I could trade in the keys of ADHD okay. at, at times just for a day or two mm-hmm. to be neuro-normal so I can get some stuff done. <laughs> but uh, but when it comes to creativity and brainstorming and problem solving, it is a superpower. And the way that I can best explain what it feels like to have ADHD is I, I feel like a neurotypical mind, if, if you're looking at a problem, you're viewing it as a maze and that you're starting here and you need to end up there. And there are all these paths that you have to get through there. And I feel like if if we're talking about a maze that has tall walls in it, what I can do with the mind with ADHD is I can flood the maze and raise water above the walls. And so I can move from point A to point B without any obstacles. And I can see where I can go before anyone else can. And I can see a possibility of this connects to that. And I just need to slow down enough and be able to explain to you how it works. And, And probably the best example of that in my life is what I've done in the last year with Crumple Cookies and Grandpa Beck's games. Can I talk about that for a moment? Of course. Yes. This is the culmination of of all of the things that that God has developed in me in the course of my life. I really believe that the skills – I didn't realize I was being trained, through all these random careers to do this project, which, which has really given me the opportunity to go off and now do whatever else I want to, because it's been it's been successful. Um, but I, I walked into a crumble cookie store for the first time about a year and a half ago, in a little context of where I was in my, in my life at that point in time. I'm no longer with Android Place. They got purchased by another company and they didn't understand who I was or the value that I brought to the table and they wanted to cut my pay by half, so I left. And uh, that happened two months after I'd left Grandpa Beck's Games as a full-time employee mm-hmm. because I realized that I had to either choose between having a relationship with my parents or a relationship with my parents mm-hmm. as my bosses and that I couldn't do both mm-hmm. and that working mm-hmm. family is really hard. And I and that's a whole other conversation, but ultimately I decided that I loved my parents and I wanted a relationship with my family enough that I was going to sacrifice a very secure job that asked very little of me in order to, to take another step and go do things on my own because I wanted to to maintain the relationship I had with them and not risk it any further because there were too many creative disagreements um, internally on, on the family business. Um, however, prior to leaving the company, I had designed a game called Cover Your Cookies, which was a spinoff of our bestseller, Cover Your Assets. And I walked into a crumble cookie store about two years ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago, and picked up one of their catering menus and looked at all these pictures of the cookies. And I had one of those moments where I crossed the maze. I love these moments. I love and these I said, moments we need to make this game and it needs to be with crumble and it needs to be sold in crumble stores wow. and it took it took a couple of months for me to realize why that works so well but the reasoning behind it was we are a company that struggles with exposure um, our game spread almost entirely via word of mouth the mm-hmm. most important sale that we can make is to a person who's never been exposed to us before and the best environment to make that sale is in a, a location where there are mm-hmm. zero competitors where we have a product that can sell with no other competing mm-hmm. games Mm. And we can be introduced to a brand new company in order for a company to be willing to carry one of our products, though, we need to be advertising their product with our game. And what better way to do that than taking our flagship product, which customer plays between 12 and 20 times a year, that's highly Mm. addictive and associated with great family memories and tying it to the product line of another company, especially a company Mm. that has the same values that our company has of, of, of creating high quality products. That are geared towards bringing families together. And if I can bring mm-hmm. those two seemingly entirely different companies together, we can create something that has incredible synergy that that mm-hmm. it promotes and exposes Grandpa X games while also increasing cookie sales every time that a person plays that game because you can't play cover cookies without craving more crumble cookies. Is that is that true, Clarissa? Mm-hmm. It is true. You gotta you gotta eat the crumble while you're playing. Because the box is pink, and and all of the cookies in the game are the Crumble cookies with their names, and so it the, the so I designed the game as as an incredibly effective advertisement for Crumble yeah. cookies that a yes. person wants to buy. So it's it's an advertisement that Crumble doesn't pay to have run on TV. They're making money when a person purchases it, is that product and then brings it into their home and then evangelizes both Grandpa X games and Crumble cookies every time they take that out of their house to go teach a family member or friend who may not have ever experienced either one of those product lines before. And, yeah. and they aren't doing that. We, I mean, essentially, we run a multi-level marketing company that we don't pay our employees at because they're they're, they're running the exact same sort of environment where you, you host a party, you introduce the product, yeah. and then you get your friends to buy it. And, and they're getting, what do they get out of it? They get the satisfaction of having introduced their friends to something that's fun and something that's worthwhile, that isn't a screen that they can do with their kids and that everyone has unhappy memories with there are a bunch of other reasons as to why i felt it would work um but yeah i just i just knew it like i I, like i said i I walked home had another snail racing moment with my wife hey just went to crumble cookies i'm going to talk to my parents i know i just left working with them but i'm going to tell them i'm going to go to crumble and i'm going to get them to make a game for us and they're going to put their cookies in it it's all going to work don't worry (laughs) i don't need another job right now i'm just going to focus on this we've got some savings it's going to be fine and, and she's like, we need to go
0: adjust your dosage of Adderall. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's working this time. No, no, I it's, know it's going to be good because it's working. Okay,
1: totally. We're good. <laughs> we're good. So long story short, I went, I made the pitch to an amazing woman named Anna. Yeah. She caught the vision. She carried it up the chain of, of wow. Crumble. Six months later, we had a contract. Six months after that, the product was finished and designed. And it launched two months ago. And good they've sold you. about 20,000 copies um, so good far. And, you. and And if they fully understand what it is... And, and what it can do for them, we'll sell, we'll sell a whole ton more. Um, they still haven't quite grasped entirely that it's not about the game sales and that they need to be willing to sacrifice money on selling the game because it's about the cookie sales. But once that data mm-hmm. is there, once they can take a look and see that every customer that has that game is now spending X percent more on cookies than they did previously, yeah. they'll they'll I, I hope reach the point where they say, hey, we're going to start giving this game 50 percent off if you buy a six pack of cookies yeah. and promoting it more so that they can move more products so that's and, and they have over seven 700 that's locations
0: right uh, i think they're at 750
1: locations. by the end of the year they'll have yep. between 1300 and 1500 locations they're they're awesome. growing at it's fastest Good growing franchise you. in the world right now so
0: i love these snow moments i love your mindset i love your journey you're still a young guy you've you you love you you've had stability all along you probably didn't think you had stability but <laughs> you had the ability to have stability the, the yeah. entire time yes. and You're i've always felt that
1: that is totally safe my wife thought that we were we were crazy but like whenever i needed the money i can always make money that's the uh, but yeah. i'm not motivated by money like money yeah. is yeah like like if i wanted to just be wealthy I'd, I'd go sell insurance or something um yeah but i'm motivated by creating and and yeah and by by combining like like taking yeah. two seemingly different things and being able to push them together and make them work. That yeah. that's really exciting to me. Like that, I love it. that is my, my favorite thing. Um So um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm working on right awesome. now. And, it's, and now that I have a little breather because the project is working and I'm, I'm receiving some, some money from, from the sales of the game. I'm able to branch out and do some other things I have. I just signed a contract with um, Altus fine art and they're going to be selling my, my artwork and it's going to Deseret book and I'm, I'm doing a signing night oh. there later this month. And then I, I'm also doing my first stand-up performance. I did improv comedy back when I was at BYU. I was, I was in uh, um, It's called Laugh Out Loud was the, com- was the group okay. I was in at BYU. We performed improv at the same time that a group called Divine Comedy was doing sketch comedy. And those cast members ended up becoming Studio C. So I performed with the Studio okay. C cast back when I was at, at BYU where we do combined shows with each other awesome. and, and had a lot of fun doing that. So now I'm branching out and getting into stand-up because I, I, I don't think I could have done stand-up when I was 22 years old because I didn't have... The self-awareness and i didn't have the story i have learned to find humor in my life and and frankly i have a very deep well of experiences that are really random to draw upon <laughs> which which make mm-hmm. for pretty funny stories so yeah that's going to be well, my my next adventure here is is stand up and then and then writing children's books this
0: year awesome I love thank it. you so much for coming in and sharing all these nuggets do you have anything you want to leave with the audience about Career, entrepreneurship, risk, uh, ADHD—anything that you know. What, what's your words of wisdom on anything? Is there anything else that you want to share? You know, when I when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it was amazing. After I found out,
1: I had lived for so long with a sense of shame that there's something wrong with me. And once I realized, hey, I just I'm just different. It's not that I'm broken. I'm just different. Mm-hmm. I, I've been really open and I talked to people and said, hey, I just found out I had ADHD, and and I want to talk to you a little bit about what that's meant for me. And, and have you ever wondered yeah. if you've had ADHD? And in those conversations, I found out that several people that I've been close to my whole life were diagnosed with ADHD and never told me, never told me they're mm. on medication, never told me they'd been hiding wow. it. And and the thought that I had then was, man, if one of you guys had talked to me, I could have yeah. known, I could have known years and years ago. So I don't hide it. I am very open about, about having ADHD.
0: Thank you. And I find
1: it to be Thank incredibly you. liberating and in, in going into talk to an employer and be like, Hey, these are things that I suck at and you need to know yep. like right now because i don't want to fail you i don't want you to be disappointed yeah. that i'm bad at remembering to put in my time card or, or that i'm that i'm not going to be uh, that you're going to have to remind me 3 times to to send you that project that's done or that i'm not going to start on something until the day before it's due if it's only going to take me 4 hours <laughs> to get it done and those are things that you can know about me right now yeah because yeah. because that's the way i am but in addition to that these are the things that i'm really good at and don't don't fill my time with the stuff that i'm bad at because i'm going to hate working yeah. here i'm going to leave Give me things yeah. that I love to do and I'll be your best employee ever. You're going to, you're going to love yeah. having me here yeah. and, and I'm going to, I'm going to solve problems for you. And I'm going to see the world differently for you. Yeah. Just don't make me do some
0: freaking text entry. Yeah. yeah. I I love it. You're brilliant. I love these Snell moments. I love that you see, you see opportunity in the most creative ways. There's a lot of people that struggle creating right brain income and you've done that. You continue to do it. You mix it with your, your, you know, I, you do have the other side. Maybe organization, you think you lack or something. But oh, you know, I'm amazing at creating an
1: organizational system. Yeah. I'm just really bad at following it myself. But if you want me to, if you want me to like organize your closet, I will. I will organize the crap out of your closet. Like you will not believe how perfectly. Yeah situated. Just don't ask me to do it again. Just Don't make me, don't make me do it again. And don't make me like do the <laughs> upkeep.
0: I'll teach you how to do it. I would love to. Learn awesome. To that. That'd be great. Well, awesome. thank you guys well, so thank much you. For, for having me. I
1: hope, yeah. I hope that was what you wanted to hear because that's what came out of my mouth.
0: You're brilliant. I keep going. I'm, this is going to be fun to share and everybody that has, I, I don't know if I'm, I've never been properly diagnosed ADD or ADHD. I don't think they call it ADD anymore, but it's, I, I have a lot in common with you. I was cutting you off you know, but I'm so intrigued with, with your story. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, listeners. We, the lights out on Clarissa, which means we probably need to wrap it up. All right. right. Thank
1: you, listeners. Thank you. I'll get in trouble with, with Greg and Neil, if I don't put in a plug for my own podcast that I do with them. um, I, I, I host a podcast with Neil and Greg called Left of the Lake, where we just talk about, interesting stories and people and events that happen on the left side of Utah Lake in the cities of Saratoga Springs, Lehigh, Eagle Mountain, American Fork. So it's kind of a little bit of Utah history and a little bit of, of uh, pop culture and a lot of interviews of just really fascinating and fun people. One of those was Clarissa, who we had on a couple of months ago. It was a really awesome, awesome conversation. So check us out if you want to want to hear more about uh, about the story of the area.
0: And laugh so your heads it. off. It's so good. Oh, I'm I'm glad you find it entertaining. So that's great. I love it. Go go see his, go see his photography. Go see him at the improvs. Go check out his uh, podcast. You're doing amazing things. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. You have a good one. Okay.